everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plugs Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, is my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good. Uh, we've actually gotten fantastic weather here in Alberta. It's uh, above zero, which is a little odd, but I guess that's just kind of what happens during Chin- a Chinook. But uh, we have some pretty good Ottawa Senators hockey and one very bizarre game to talk about. We do. We do. And not only that, we're going to have a great top of the hour to talk about. We're going to update our episode from last week with Rain Ellison. But before we do anything, Tim, we got to talk about today's cover athlete. For today's episode, Season 7, Episode 15, in chronological order, Episode 165, the one and only Eric Carlson. So just a little background about Eric Carlson. He was selected 15th overall by the Ottawa Centers in 2008. He's currently in his 15th NHL season, currently with the Pittsburgh Penguins. God, I just threw my mouth thinking about that. <laughs> he spent nine seasons with the Ottawa Senators, recording 126 goals, 392 assists for 518 points in 627 games, while winning two Norris trophies and being named to four All-Star games. If you want to talk about generational talents, Eric Carlson. And before we talk about all the things you could say about this guy, I'm going to talk about quite possibly, I'm sure we've talked about this moment, many many times on this podcast but eric carlson's aerial pass to mike hoffman is in a nutshell part of what made eric carlson such a dynamic player to watch that whole 2017 playoff run was enabled by eric carlson basically just willing himself to crazier and crazier heights him and pajot and and he did it all on one ankle too because yeah. never even going into the playoffs, like I wasn't even sure if he was going to be able to play. Yeah. And uh, that Boston series would have ended very differently if he wasn't there. For sure. And even when you go back to that Boston series, you're absolutely right. Eric Carlson was the deciding factor of that series. But I think that also you got to give some credit to some other games, most notably Kyle Turris, Bobby Ryan, Pajot, like you mentioned, and Clark MacArthur. Well, Kark MacArthur, Kark MacArthur icing that whole series in overtime was incredible. And yeah, away from that, we're talking about a guy with three-time Norris winner who probably should have won it three times in Ottawa with how incredible he was that season. Yeah, I mean, the 82 and 82 season definitely comes to mind. I know a lot of Senators fans and a lot of hockey fans in general were just very upset over the fact that you have a guy, a defenseman nonetheless, played all 82 games, had 82 points, doesn't win the Norse Trophy. Yeah. And it's just a bizarre thing to watch, but it didn't matter because like he just comes back the next season and is just as good, if not better. What do you think, and go back to that 82 and 82 series, do you think had Ottawa made the playoffs in 13-14, the year he did that, would he not only win 100%. the Norse, but is he a serious candidate for the Hart Trophy? If Ottawa makes the playoffs, he probably has that heart in the bag because I don't think you could argue Doughty that year. If Ottawa won a series, then yeah, he's seriously in the heart discussion just because analytically speaking, that 13-14 season was one of his best. Yeah, and while he didn't win the Norse Trophy that year, he would make up for that last season 
100 points, finally gets that Norris. Yeah. And he was the probably the only reason that San Jose team was even respectable, which is frankly impressive for a guy who has just so much mileage on his body injury-wise. And that really is just kind of the thing about Eric Carlson is like you have to wonder, had Matt Cook not stomped him, what would he have done with his career? And like, here's the thing. We're saying that about a guy who's won the Norris three times. Would he be as decorated as Lindstrom? I honestly think so. I think so too. And I think the year that Matt Cook severed his Achilles tendon, a lot of people tend to forget Eric Carlson in that lockout shortened season. He was on pace for what? 30 goals. Give yeah. or take. Like it was actually stupid how good he was that season. Now I do love asking the question with Eric Carlson. I know you did mention the aerial pass between him and Hoffman. Is there a moment if you were to outside of that moment, if you were to describe Eric Carlson's tenures in Ottawa center in one play, what would it be? Hmm. That's tough. There's just so many good ones, like springing Bobby Ryan to win game one against Pittsburgh in the same playoffs, setting up Pajot's first hat trick in 2012, 2013. Too many, but it really is just that smooth skating ability translating flawlessly from D zone to goals, basically. So So I've got a moment off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. I want to get your opinion on this. I can't recall the game. I think it was game two. The Sens were down three, nothing. Eric Carlson toes the blue line, cuts right. in Derek Broussard. Yeah. That right there is one of my all-time favorite moments. Not only that, but in the Rangers series, when he scored the goal behind the goal net. Oh, the one that, that goal was so clutch for Ottawa too. Because if I remember correctly, like New York had just scored and Carlson does that. And then there was Carlson's goal that ended up being the game winner uh, right from inside the dot against uh, New York in game seven. Zabana Jad again had just scored. Carlson, not even 30 seconds later, right from in between the dots. It was such a good play. And that was such a great series because going into that, I legitimately said the Suns were going to beat the Rangers that year because we played them in 2012. And I remember thinking, this Rangers team's not that great. Like the Senators came close to beating them. Oh, yeah. They took them to seven. No, it was a good one for sure. And Eric Carlson had a very storied career in Ottawa. Unfortunately, just how it all ended with him. I know the big question. I know when we had him in episode 65 as our cover athlete, for people who didn't hear that, there's always going to be discussion, is Eric Carlson's 65 going to be at the CTC? I think that is. At the end of the day, of this generation, he is what people will think of the Ottawa Senators. Between him and maybe Mark Stone, yeah. But even with Mark Stone, I think people nowadays think of him less and less as a center just more and more as a night with vegas yeah that's fair that's fair 
Now, Tim, you know, I could sit here and you could sit here and talk about Eric Carlson all day, but it would only be really inevitable. We got to talk about next week's cover athlete for next week's episode, season seven, episode 16, and chronological order, episode 166. Now, for this one, given that we didn't have a player in the auto series at war number 66, I felt it was appropriate to do something that we have never done before. And we even brought the poll back for this. Ooh. I came up with the idea of famous people of Ottawa. Now, I currently checked the votes before we jumped on. And here are the four people on the board, Tim. Norm MacDonald, Alanis Morissette, Dan Aykroyd, Peter Mansbridge. Oh, that is a good list. That is a good list. And like I said, I just checked the poll before we jumped on here. At 67% of the votes, Norm MacDonald is leading. Nice. So it looks like Norm MacDonald will be our cover athlete for next week's episode. But you know what? That's for next week, Tim. Let's stick with this week's episode, because i got to ask the question. How's everything been going, man? was a little busy with uh, some of my other with uh, blog and podcast just because on the white short side, we're getting a new set, Macross Delta, which is a set that I've been anticipating for a very long time. So writing writing some blog content, I uh, was a guest on another podcast to talk about that set and uh, just been doing a lot of that theorycraft index. So if you want to check out kind of what I've been doing, just head on over to Wild Wild Weiss there. Now, was this the podcast that you were doing that live stream with? Yes. Yeah, I even checked it out a little bit. I knew nothing of what you guys were talking about, but <laughs> I checked it out and I was like, oh, this is great. Well, I had fun. No, you look like you were having a lot of fun. And I know that you're very into Weiss. You have your podcast, you have your blog. You're very much into it. Yeah. And we'd love to see it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Now, I know that a running theme when talking about our week's is the basement construction of your house. Can we get a little update? We haven't heard too much about this over the last uh, time. Nothing's really happened. No? No, unfortunately. No loose wires? Uh, no adventures. Drywall up? Not yet. Uh, you're still waiting? What was it? Just looking? waiting on one more inspection. Ah, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Because, you know, we here at Third Line Plug, we like hearing about your adventures with your basement rentals. <laughs> I know at least one or two of the listeners is like just enthralled with the basement rentals. He's they're probably just like, oh, I don't know if Tim would do should do that, but I don't know why this person would do the wires that go to nothing. It's just like, I mean, it's fun. It's fun. It is fun. It is fun. Now, what was also fun, Tim, was last week's episode, and this is something that we usually don't do, but we're gonna bring back. And talk about our previous episode, because last week's episode was our 2023-2024 Ottawa Senators first half recap. And we had a very special guest. We had Rain Ellison from Daily underscore Sins underscore News joining us for the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about it. And like I said, I'm, I think our listeners know right off the top who listened to the episode. I've been a longtime follower of Rain on Instagram. I was so happy he agreed to come on. Very sad to hear that the pancake place in ottawa he recommended is no longer around made me sad oh, yeah because yeah y'all were saying it was good it was pretty good it was pretty good and i really hope that he finds a new recommendation because if we ever bring him back on he's going to give us that recommendation 
Yeah, yeah, I, I love the food wrecks. Oh, it's so good. And we even got a little chat about the Rito McDonald's. I mean, it's an institution. It is. It is. Now, I, I know that we talked about this on last week's episode. What is the new quote-unquote Rito McDonald's in Ottawa? So the thing is, is a lot of places just aren't open. Like, or if they are open, the dining room's not open. Right. So I don't think it's consolidated yet. So you see, like, a lot of people hanging out outside the Bank Street McDonald's, but nothing to just the same degree of weirdness. What about the uh, the Elgin Street one? It's a bit too far down. Is it? Yeah, the Bank one is just across the street from Parliament, right? Okay, fair enough. I remember when I went to the Elgin McDonald's, and I remember thinking, this place is disgusting. Like, there's just garbage everywhere. The floor, I mean, I get it, it was, like, mid December, so it's snowing outside. There's snow everywhere, but even then, the people working behind the counter were just kind of shitty. It was just like, uh. yeah. Like I remember, I would sometimes go to that McDonald's because it was one a.m. I was getting off work and nothing else was open, and I didn't feel like cooking, especially because I'd been at work since like eight a.m. I don't think you could fault me for being like it's one a.m. Been at work since eight. Yeah. I want to eat. And oh, I don't fault you at all. Yeah, that McDonald's was, it's always weird because it was also like one of the McDonald's that had like a, just a very limited menu. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think they even had the filet of fish to just really kind of give you an idea how limited it was. No, it was almost like one of those pop-up McDonald's. Yeah, just weird. It, it was, it was, it was so weird. I mean, we're going there and you're absolutely right. There was a number of items that weren't on there and there was like there was obviously like mcnuggets big macs mcchickens but there wasn't like the extent of what usual mcdonald's has yeah it was just like okay this... i remember i went there thinking i was like oh i kind of want this thing oh they don't have it i mean it's weird that we're talking about mcdonald's because late last week i was at work and I don't know why I had this serious craving for chicken McNuggets. I was like, son of a bitch. I'm trying so hard to eat healthy right now. <laughs> why must you do this to me, buddy? Honestly, though, I had McNuggets uh, after the Calgary game. They are worse than I remember them being. Really? Yeah. Was it just that, that McDonald's in particular you went to or just? I don't know, man. Hmm. They just weren't good. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, generally, McNuggets are pretty consistent across the board. Yeah. So I, don't I do want to talk a little bit about my week, Tim, because I've got a few things off the top I want to talk about. Now, as you recall, a number of weeks ago, you had a moment where you're officially like, Tim, you're going to be a dad. Yeah. You can no longer be saying terms like this. I had a moment like that this week. Oh, no. So I was at work, and we got talking about, like, I don't know, Tim Hortons or Starbucks in one of these coffee places, right? So we got talking about that, and Louise, our CSO, she was here and I were talking about this, and she's like, yeah, you know, I used to go to Starbucks all the time, but after a while, I stopped wanting, like, the 7 or $8 burnt coffees, and I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I made a mention, again, talking about McDonald's. I says, you know what's really slept on is the t is the McDonald's coffee. 
I once had a double double from McDonald's. Was surprised how actually decent it was. Like yeah. I would never make a habit of it, but it was decent. And she looks at me. Now keep in mind, I'm a millennial. You are a millennial. We're both millennials. The person I'm explaining the term slept on is a Gen Xer. So this is not like a Gen Z or a Gen whatever Alpha or whatever the new generation is now. But and I'm trying to explain to her what the term slept on is. And this is the thing. This is not an urban dictionary term. This is a term in the Cambridge Dictionary. Slept on? In- really? Like Yes. I looked oh. it up on Google. Slept on came in the Cambridge Dictionary. And it- I was telling her about Cambridge. this. And I explained the whole meaning behind it. And she's like, yeah, I don't get that. And I was like, and how I was describing this to her, I was like, yeah, it's not like one of these Gen Z terms. Which, by the way, for the amount of shit Gen Zers get for whatever sort of faults people think of them, I'm going to give them credit. But some of the terms they come up with... We are not saying that Zoomer terms are good. No, some of the terminologies, they pretty much, they're very accurate. Uh-huh. What does on fleek mean? Oh, on fleek's stupid. I'm not saying about that one. But there's a couple of them. I Off the top of my head, I can't recall. But I look at them and I'm like... Eh. Using chat as a third-person pronoun. Okay, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, no, that's a thing they do, and it's stupid. I am not get. You really don't have to hand it to Gen Z. Some okay, not so much on fleek or on chat or whatever you just saying. There's a couple. There's like one or two terms. I'll give them that. But other than that, the rest of them are very stupid. Okay, what term are you thinking? You know what? I honestly thought slept on was actually a term by the Gen Zers, but apparently it's in the Cambridge Dictionary. I it might be a millennial term for all I know. I'm, I feel I feel like I've been hearing that term for over a decade. Really. Yeah. Where's the etymology here? See also. Yeah, no, I feel like this was slept on. Yeah, I feel, I almost feel like. Somewhat modern. I feel like it's almost like, I think that's almost like a Gen X or millennial one. Is it? I almost feel like it's kind of a gray area of who, where exactly it falls. Yeah, I feel like that's an older one. Oh. Yeah, it's been on Urban Dictionary since 2002. Gen Z wasn't even born yet. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a millennial term. At the very least. Yeah, okay. Oh, I apologize to our listeners. I assumed that slept on was a Gen Z term. So, Hmm. basically, Tim just contradicted everything I just said by saying... No, you are not going to give Gen Zers credit. No. And also, it just sounds like he slept on, slept on. I I like the term slept on. It's, yeah. It works. It's very accurate. Now, moving away from there, there is one thing that I do want to talk about. I don't know if you got a chance to watch this on Amazon Prime over the weekend. Amazon Prime finally released the documentary Chosen One, the Alexander Dag story. Going into this, and I think you and I were talking about this a while ago with this documentary. Uh, you know what it was? I mentioned this on top of the hour. I, I said, did. I really hope it's not like Netflix with Untold. And I says, because the Untold are so 
not good. <laughs> like, there's so much crap that they left out of the Johnny Menzel one, the uh, University of Florida. There's so many of those that there's a lot of stuff they left out. And they basically made the people who are not supposed to be made to be out to be good, out to be good. Yeah. So with Alexander Dag, and there's always sort of there's always been so much stuff said about him that lazy, didn't have the passion, bust, whatever kind of term you want to use, right? Alex Dag seems very content with his hockey career. And one thing that really stood out for me is him talking about the pressure that was put on him at a very young age and just how it completely wore him out. And this is what I, I said this to my supervisor today. I says, you know, think of this. You're a 17, eight year, 18 year old kid. You go to an expansion team and not like a current day expansion team, like the Golden Knights or the Kraken. You're going to an original expansion team, like the Sharks or the Senators. We're basically the modern Sharks. Yeah. Where you have the bottom of the barrel, you're picking underneath that. You're picking guys where you're like, this this guy's not real. This is not a real player. Now imagine you're an 18 year old kid. You're the first overall pick. You go to a bilingual city because you lived in Ottawa. You know about Ottawa. Yep. Alexander Dag is francophone, so he speaks both French and English. Imagine you're an 18, 19 year old kid. You have no depth around you. Everything's being put on you. You're the one that has to speak to the media. In two languages, and you're the one that everybody has to put the blame on. Yeah. And it's interesting, and even in Top of the Air this week and next week, you know, we talk about these modern-day hockey players, and they just have so many resources at their disposal when it comes to mental health issues, substance abuse. Alex Dagg didn't have any of this in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And even talking about mental health was so taboo that his agent, and he spoke about this in the documentary, his agent told him, he says, yeah, don't go see a therapist because it'll ruin your chances of getting taken, number one. That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, like you, you know, we talk about the hockey culture now, it's just how toxic and how, I mean, for Christ, I mean, that first story top of the air, that's, yeah. But Alex Degg, it's amazing, even the hockey culture then. And just how much the culture of hockey screwed him. Yeah. But overall, yeah. it was a really good documentary. I'm very happy how Amazon handled it. And I'm really looking forward to the Joe Sackick one. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, no, especially if that Dag one was good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Tim, I guess it's that time of the episode. Where it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. Now, I know I complain about this, but I hate this stupid chair. Because the stupid thing will never stay up. And every, like, 20 minutes, I gotta get up and remove it up. But that's okay. What's not okay, Tim, and this is a story, I, I tell you, I've been dreading having to talk about this story. And we're just going to get it right out of the way on this episode for Top of the Hour. TSN's Rick Westhead reported that five players from the 2018 Team Canada World Junior Team have been ordered to surrender to London, Ontario police. Yeah, this is this is going to be 
it's going to be something all right. And uh, I think it's important that, as Ian Mendez mentioned, The Athletic and others, that this is going to take years to untangle and it might get weirder before the end. So uh, it's going to be wild. It is going to be wild. And you look at some of the players that are involved, like Dylan Dubé, Carter Hart. And we're not talking about players who never made the NHL. We're talking about players in the NHL now. And then it's interesting, too, because I remember you had a bunch of players when this happened basically have their agents issue statements that they were innocent and there were players who did not and uh, the players who did not got dragged and among the players that among the two players two of the five players that were implicated two of them made statements saying they were innocent so it's just kind of goes to show you that you really have to wait for the chips to fall before you can make any judgments yeah, and it's sad. Over the last five years, you're looking at stories like this that have come out of the woodwork, whether it be the Mike Babcock stuff with Mitch Marner, yeah. obviously Kyle Beach. And now with this, it's I wonder when you oh, I wonder people who aren't hockey fans who see stories like this realistically look at the NHL. We'll just kind of look at it. It's like, well, what what is going on? Yeah. And of course, the NHL is not the only sports league that news stories like this happen. The NFL is known for it. NBA is known for it. Major League Baseball is known for it. NCAA. Oh, my God. NCAA. Yeah, there's like so many stories about that that are just not reported. But unfortunately, it's hockey, right? And hockey is, I hate to still say it, it's very much a foreign sport in the United States. So a lot of Americans would look at this and be like, okay, not only what is going on with Angel, what is going on with Canadian players? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, well, the CHL has just had these kind of issues dog them for years too about team culture. Like, I think Dan Carcillo's class action about hazing is still going through. Yeah, and what's really unfortunate about this 2018 story is, and I know people on social media have brought this up, there was also a story like this about the 2003 World Junior Team. Now, for context, would you like me to tell you some names off of that 2003 team? Crosby, oh. Getzlaff, Perry, Marc-Andre Fleury, Carlo Koliakovo. Yeah, Koliakovo. There's guys who are not only superstars, they're going to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame when they retire well canada to my understanding we have a very different rules around statute of limitations compared to the u.s so things could get interesting too yeah there is no statute of limitations in canada for most crimes yeah now given that the story did just break and the players are going to be ordered to surrender to police we're not going to speculate right now but we're going to move away from this and talk about some good news stories, Tim. Because, you know, here on Top of the Air, we like our good news stories. And we're going to start off by talking about Florida Panthers head coach Paul Maurice, who passed Barry Trotz for second on the all-time most games coach list at 1,813. I gotta say, 
this one kind of surprised me because I tend to forget Paul Maurice has actually been around this long to coach this many games. He doesn't look as old as he is either, right? And he's managed to get quite a bit out of this Florida team too. Yeah, I mean, look at the team last year, right? Where you had Joel Quenville, what, five games into the season, got uprooted because of the Powell Beach stuff? Yeah, and then he just, you have uh, Burnett takes over. He gets fired at, despite uh, the excellent season that Florida had. Sorry, excellent regular season Florida had. And remember, this is the Paul Maurice that just said, you know what? I can't do anything more with this team in Winnipeg and just bounced. Just like very interesting coach. He is. And even his head coaching track record, when you look at some of the teams he coached, like he was on the 2002 Hurricanes that took him to the Stanley Cup Finals. He coached, I think, what, three years or something? Two, three years with the Leafs. He coached a year with the Marlies. Yep, he coached, he was on the 2018 Jets team that almost went to the finals. He was on the Panthers team that went to the finals last year. And yet he's going to be one of those guys. And it's interesting because I'm, I apologize on top of my head. I'm not sure what Scotty Bowman's all-time games coach list is. But you have to wonder because Paul Maurice has had such a good reputation. He's in the NHL. He's been able to last. I wonder if he catches him. He might. Like the guy's been coaching since... 96 he's 57 is he really 57 yeah okay i did not believe that i would have imagined he would have been in his 60s at least yeah like he and the weird thing is is he doesn't even really look 50 he doesn't even really look that old no he doesn't he doesn't but good on him you know passing barry trots that's that's nothing to sniff at no and like his coaching career has been pretty good. And in the last 10 years, he's only had one season below 500. So you know how just a moment ago, Tim, we were talking about Paul Maurice being the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We got to talk about a current Toronto Maple Leaf, Ford Austin Matthews, who became the fastest player in Leafs franchise history to record 600 career points. He's having another heck of a season, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, he and... just reached 40 goals, so... The guy might get to 60. X70 still on the table. Yeah, that would be... That would be the all-time for the Leafs right there. Like, you have to imagine. I know that we... I don't want to keep repeating myself when it talks to Matthews, but you have to imagine. At this point, he is the best player the Leafs have ever drafted. Oh, he might be one of the best Leafs ever. Period. Yeah. I would... Yeah, I would believe that. I mean... Because, I mean, with that big contract he got from the lease, he's sticking around for a number of years. There's no way that he won't pass guys like Wendell Clark, Sundin, Daryl Sittler, whatever kind of name you want to throw on that list. Pretty much. Just kind of a shame that the teams around Austin Matthews just haven't been able to pick it up when it needs picking up. I mean, look at the team this year. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to realize why the Bradtree living teams didn't work out in Calgary. Wait a minute. So you're saying that it wasn't Goudreau and Chuck's fault? No. Amazing. Amazing. 
What's also amazing is Colorado Avalanche defenseman Kale McCarr, who became the Avalanche Nordique franchise leader with most goals by a defenseman with 76. On the one hand, this does kind of surprise me because given how offensively powerful, what a powerhouse they were when they first arrived in the NHL in the mid-1990s, the fact is a lot of that offense didn't come from the defense. A lot of that came from the forwards. And you look at some of the names that they've had on that list, there's not really an offensive defenseman they've really had on there. So I'm not surprised Kale McCarr is setting that record. Well, think about during like the Wings-Avalanche rivalry years, the most notable defenseman on Colorado was Adam Foote. Yeah, and even at the tail end of that where you add Ray Bork and you add Rob Blake to that equation... Yeah, those are definitely guys. Well, Rob Blake was definitely a bit more of an offensive defenseman, but yeah, like the the offense was really coming from uh, your forwards, especially Sackick and Forsberg, right? Yeah, and then they had a supporting cast around them, the Chris Drury's, the Alex Tangays, guys like that around them. Yeah, like it was just a well-built heavy team. Pittsburgh Penguins forward Lars Eller played in his 1,000th career game. Yet another guy that you're kind of surprised. You're like, wow, like he's been in the NHL for this long? Yeah. And like a lot of it is just we're old now, one. And two, Lars Eller is just one of those players where it's like, I always felt like he's been good. Nothing spectacular, like nothing that like jumps off the page. But yeah, just like a guy who will consistently give you 30 to 40 points. And most of that value came away from the team that originally drafted him, St. Louis, and the team that traded Yaroslav Halak for him, Montreal. Yeah, he just seems to be a player that did all the little things right. And and that's why he's been able to stick in the NHL for so long. Yeah, and uh, despite some scary hits. Griba. Yeah. And what's kind of wild is some of the players that Lars Lars Eller's been involved in a lot of a lot of big NHL trades too, uh, including the draft, sorry trades that sent Vesa Toscala to Toronto, the pick for Logan Couture to San Jose, and of course Yaroslav Halak to St. Louis. Yeah, it's kind of surprising given some of those deals that you just mentioned and the fact that Lars Eller was a part of it. Yeah. Like the dude was the, the dude's rights went around. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. He was on that avalanche team that won the cup, correct? Lars Eller? Yes. Okay. So yeah. Thousand games, won a Stanley cup. He was on the Washington capitals team that won a Stanley Cup and Wait, played he, 24 games for that team. He's got two cups now? Yeah, dude's got two cups. Oh, good on him. Yeah, no. You know, we like to hear good stories like this, Tim. The New Jersey Devils have re-signed general manager Tom Fitzgerald to a multi-year extension. Said extension includes a promotion to president of hockey operations. I really liked what the Devils have done. Man, why can't they find a goalie? And that's not really on Tom Fitzgerald because just goalies are such a hard position to build for. But the process of the team that he's built from Lindy Ruff all the way down has just created 
a very scary team to play against. So I think this is well-deserved extension for Fitzgerald. Very much so. And for Tom Fitzgerald, the nice thing about him when he took over as GM of the Devils is that he wasn't coming into a situation where he needed to completely build it from the ground up. Other GMs at the time, like Ray Shiro, for example, gave him pieces to work with. Mm -hmm. And he just built on top of that. Yeah, and he kind of got those final pieces together. And New Jersey's drafting has just been good too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And even some of the pickups they did, like Tyler Toffoli has been such a great pickup for the Devils. I would even say for... Uh, not not Thomas. Thomas Hurdle? Oh, you're thinking of uh, Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer, thank you. Yeah, that was a pretty solid pickup for the Devils. And even their draft picks, like you mentioned, I mean, they've been good. They've been able to properly develop them. And now you get a roster of kind of both. Yeah. So uh, congrats to Fitzgerald. And uh, hopefully that goaltending situation figures itself out. Speaking of goaltenders, Tim, this is a news story that I apologize. I completely forgot to include in top of the air. We got to talk about the New York Islanders. Hiring Patrick Watt as head coach. Yeah. The Islanders, I'm not sure if they're a team that should be better or not, but man, that was a coaching change that was needed. And I haven't watched Islanders hockey enough to know what sort of impact he's going to have. But if he can get that Islanders team to play a bit more up-tempo, mm -hmm. I think that'll be very good for them because the goaltending for that team is phenomenal. They just need to move the puck more dynamically. Yeah. And that's not to say that the Islanders don't have players like that, but it could have just been how Lane Lambert coached that team that kind of stifled them. Patrick coming in, he's definitely going to bring a lot of energy, a lot of tension to this franchise. I think in the long run, it's going to be a, is this going to work long-term? Because we yeah. saw firsthand what happened in Colorado. But the big thing is, is that you saw a very different side of Patrick in the years after he left the Avalanche, went back to coach the Ramparts, and now he's with the Islanders. Like, how is this going to be different for him? I mean, I love a good redemption story. So I hope it works out for him. Although, I, you know what I really, really love about Patrick Watt going to the Islanders, though? Not only is that he gives you the redemption story that you all always enjoy, but because, you know, Patrick is fiery, stubborn, hard-headed, the dude found his match in Lou Lamorello. He shaved his beard, eh? Yep. Man. Can you imagine the power struggle between Patrick and Lou? You thought Patrick and Joe Sackick was one thing? Patrick and Lou are going to butt heads like crazy. Because yeah. Patrick's going to be fiery and Lou's going to be like, no. I mean, I think it'll work out. I hope so. I hope so because, you know, we've had Dan Saracini on the podcast. I mean, he's a great guy and... Patrick seems to be do, get, doing good for the Islanders, so nothing we can really say more about that, though. So this is a story, and you know, we always and we, we always talk about expansion, and we talk about 
cities wanting NHL franchises. The parent company of the Utah Jazz have requested formal expansion process by the NHL. This is a really weird story that just kind of came out of nowhere and the timing could not have been worse because it dropped moments after the London police made their announcement and that is like 90% complete coincidence. It has so, to be. It has to be a complete coincidence. Like there's no way that any party would have known that the police were going to make their announcement. So it's like, I don't know. I think having a team in Salt Lake seems like a cool idea. But at the same time, it's like, I do wonder if like there is value to just keeping the league at 32. Yeah. And not growing so big that you have eternal poverty franchises like in the NFL or the NBA. Yeah. And that's kind of the set or even baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And I truly agree with that. I mean, I think 32 teams is perfect. 16 teams make the playoffs, 16 don't. But with Utah, and I know that we've talked about in the past about the potential expansion into Utah. How do you think this makes other cities feel that maybe want the NHL, like a Portland or a Milwaukee, or I'm going to throw a dark horse candidate here, Sacramento. Sacramento, really? Sacramento has a brand new arena. I don't, the only thing is, I don't know if the Golden One Center for the Sacramento Kings can be a hockey arena. That's the real thing. But also, and it's funny because you and I talked about this in the past, is that another city, I 100% will never go, what about San Francisco? Brand new rink. The thing, and I, I suggested, I know San Jose will never go for this. Say the San Jose Sharks want a new arena. They go to the city. San Jose says, okay, you want it, but we're not paying for it. All of a sudden, San Francisco comes in and be like, hey, you know that new building you want? Well, we kind of got it right here, and you won't leave the Bay Area. Yeah, like you're all of a sudden, you could just be like the, the San Francisco Sharks or the California Sharks. I don't know. Hockey would be interesting in Utah for sure. But it's like, I don't know if it'll work, though. That's the only thing. I've been pretty happy with you, the Utah sports scene, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, it could be fun. It could. It, it could. But I think there's a, the other option to this is because, again, there's there's no word about the Coyotes in the new arena. I know Gary has fought tooth and nail to keep them in Arizona. What if Utah, this group comes in and says, we want to buy the Coyotes and move to Utah? That'd be kind of neat. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be an interesting story to see in the future, Tim. Now, speaking about the San Jose Sharks, they unveiled a new third jersey. And I got to tell you, this looks clean. God dang, that looks good. I've always been a big fan of the NHL thirds because I feel like teams can get pretty darn creative with them. That's the other thing with the NHL, though, is they just don't wear the thirds enough, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing with the Sharks is the sh- the Sharks will always be teal. That's their color. But when the Sharks introduce a black jersey into their equation, for the most part, it works. 
The only one I say that didn't work is, do you recall the black, I think it was the black thirds they had in the late 2000s, early 2010s? It was like this all black, but it had like a little bit of like teal and white. Do you, do just, you recall what I'm talking about? I'm just pulling this guy up now because it, whenever you're talking uniforms, I usually just have uh, the NHL uniform database opening, open, but it's just not opening today. It's just like, I can't remember it, but I'm guessing if you're talking about it like this, it's probably a weird looking jersey. It's not weird. It's just, I, I maybe it's the, I don't like the logo. I really don't like the logo. Let's see. San Jose Sharks. But yeah, like the uh, logo on this one is clean. I know, right? It's so good. Oh, there it is. Oh, I remember these jerseys with the S, with the SJ the patches. Solar patch, yeah. I thought those were all right. Eh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't like the coloring. I do love. Oh boy, do I love the coloring on these new thirds, though. But even that, yeah, they're nice. The logo that's creative. Well, even if it's not like super creative, it just looks nice. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like I have a closet full of jerseys, but I might could be tempted to buy one of these. Will so, you wear it? That's the thing I always debate about buying jerseys. I was like, dude, you would wear it once and never wear it. It's like when remember last summer when we were in when I was in Calgary and we yeah. were in the Hitman team and team store and I saw the Calgary Hitman, the Bret Hart inspired ones. I thought about buying one, but I was like, Tay, you would buy wear it once. It would sit in your closet. You would never touch it again. Honestly, yeah. So all right, Tim, we're going to talk about some contract re-signings. The Philadelphia Flyers have re-signed forward Owen Tippa to an eight-year, $49.2 million contract with an AAV of 6.2. I got to say, I mean, we've we always talk about this in the past, about teams that give big contracts after one big year, but Owen Tippett looks like he's pretty much on pace to hit what he hit last year, this year. Yeah, and he's been just such a nice surprise for a Philadelphia team that, as of last ne- week, really needed needed one because this is a team where the vibes were good and a lot of young players and veterans were just finding kind of lost form and then all of a sudden Carter Hart disappears. Yeah, and this is after the Cutter-Goche stuff. Y- oh, the Cutter-Goche mess too. So yeah, uh, Tippett's been playing like a first line, second line center. Sorry, first line, second line forward, and he's been he's been good. He's been and his finishes looked great. So I don't think I mind this contract too much. Yeah, as long as he can keep up that production. But I wonder how much of Tippett's development with the Flyers is put on towards. Well, that's a good question. Because that's one of the things, because if you look at Torts's run with the Blue Jackets, especially very early on, the one thing that he did very well is that he instilled accountability with the players. Yeah. And those Jackets teams were just hard to play against. Yeah, and they were rewarded by winning their first and, I guess, only playoff series. Yeah, that's kind of the other thing about <laughs> those Jackets teams is just they never really went that far. No, and that's unfortunate, though. It is unfortunate. 
The Chicago Blackhawks have re-signed goaltender Peter Mrazek to a two-year, $8.5 million contract with an AAV of 4.25. I don't know what to think about this. You got to get to the cap floor. But Mrazek is... uh, Well, I mean, we're Sens fans. We can't say anything about goaltending this season. No. We're paying for Pasalo dollars per goal at this point, not dollars per save. I saw, I saw what you did there. I liked it. Yeah, and he's been a bit better than he has in previous seasons with Chicago. It's not quite like the implosion in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe there is something here. But uh, $4.25 million for Mrazek seems a little odd. Yeah, but like you said, right? I mean, the Blackhawks got to get to the cap four somehow. So maybe that's how they're doing it. For sure. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, hey, I'm not going to I'm never going to criticize a guy that gets his bag, regardless of how he's played. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get that bag. Marazic. Yeah. Good on you, man. Good on you. So we're going to now we're going to close the top of there. We're talking about a couple of depth signings. The Colorado Avalanche have signed Zach Parise to a one year eight hundred twenty five thousand dollar contract. I'm surprised that the guy still has legs and. I'm going to be even more mean. I'm surprised that Colorado, I get that they don't have a lot of cap space to look for, and they're looking for that extra depth. But is Zach Parise really the guy? Well, it's a double-edged sword the way I'm looking at it, is that, yeah, you could look at it as, is Parise the guy that you want for the depth? But also, is Parise going to Colorado to potentially finally get that ring? Oh, for sure. But like the hard thing with Colorado is they've tried so many different things. Just try and get someone to fill in in that second role. Sorry, second line role. And it just has not worked. Thomas Tatar didn't fit. Uh, Valtteri Nichushkin's now in that he's in the player's help program. Is Gabriel Landeskog ever coming back? Maybe they put him on, I was going to say, maybe put him on Robodot Island, but do you really want to put your captain on there? No. And it's like, yeah, Landis Cog, it's, he's on LTIR. And I, at this point, I wonder if he's coming back. Yeah. So for Colorado, I get it. But it's like, it's going to be tough because a lot of their gambles, like Druin's been fine. I'm just, I don't know if Parise has it at age 39. True. Now, say hypothetically, Landeskog doesn't come back. Nathan McKinnon, captain? Probably. Yeah. Or Miko Rantanen. Yeah. A couple of good ones. So we're going to close off top of the hour, Tim, by talking about one of the bigger news stories of the week. The Edmonton Oilers signing Corey Perry to a one-year $775,000 contract. This is weird. What Perry did was bad enough for a team to be like, Lamo, no. And then Ken Holland just picks up, like, Lamo, no, to the point where even Gary Bettman's like, yeah, terminate that contract. But there, it's also fine. Sorry, Ed, Edmonton feels it's fine for them to sign him on. Like, that's what's really weird to me. Yeah, but also, they also signed Evander Kane. They signed Evander Kane. They signed 
Zach Cass. So like they have signed projects like this in the past. So yeah, again, it's going to be, we'll see what happens. And uh, how well does he compliment the Oilers? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, in fairness, when you look at that 16 game winning streak they're on right now. Oh yeah. Like this just reinforces an already great team and Corey Perry still has hockey in him. Yeah. And think of it. If the Oilers win the next two games, they overthrow the 92, 93 Penguins for the most consecutive wins. In a Penguins team, mind you, and I said this this morning, Mario, Yager, Stevens, Francis, Larry Murphy, Tom Verasso, you have essentially the Hockey Hall of Fame on that team. Yeah. And here comes Connor McDavid. Well, I mean, in fairness, the Blue Jackets did it too, but it's not the point. Not the point. But it's like Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and I don't know where this came. Like, Zach Hyman has just really gelled with McDavid. Yeah. And Stuart Skinner has looked great. Yeah, well, at least one Canadian team's got good goaltending going for him. <laughs> ah, who are we talking about? We got there's got three teams right now that got good goaltending going for him. Hellebuck. Uh I love Connor Hellebuck, though. Gotta love him. Oh, for sure. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the hour for this week. Michigan League, one thing. It's time to talk. It's time to start talking about some games. Now we got three games on the schedule. We've got Senators versus the Canadians, the Bruins versus the Senators, and the Rangers versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Canadiens. This is a four to one Senators victory. Sens goes scored by Ridley Gregg, Jake Sanderson, Shane Pinto, and Matthew Joseph. Canadian goals are scored by Jonathan Kovacevic. Shots were 28-25 for the Senators. Hey, good to see Ottawa got another W versus the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, they're always good games, and this game was kind of a weird game to watch. So the Sens just open an absolutely dummy the Canadians for two periods. Then they let basically kind of let Montreal back into the game as they sit on a three goal lead, essentially. But then, and this is the funny thing. I really like Martin St. Louis balls on calling the goalie out of the net early. He pulled the goalie with, I want to say about four minutes left in the game with a two goal lead. And unfortunately, Montreal just, they had some some good pressure, but the Sens really kept them away from the, anything super dangerous. And then Matthew Joseph steals the puck and just puts it away. Yeah, it's almost like that moment from South Park where Randy's walking down the street with the wheelbarrow going, Buffalo Soldier. It's almost like that. I mean, in fairness, when you tweeted that out, I wanted to do that, but I was like, I'm not going to. <laughs> that's kind of crude yeah funny but crude pretty much now, yeah so i got a couple of comments here number one let's talk about shane pinto getting his first goal of the season i really liked shane pinto in the games this week yeah he's been good see what happens when he doesn't have a parlay going Sorry, <laughs> i had to get the gambling so joke out of the. i know look you gotta get the one out of the way 
But excluding that, thought he looked really good. I liked his positioning in this goal. It's good to see him back. And the Sens have played better with him around. I think so too. And like the thing is, is just you just have that much more center depth when you have Stutzla, Norris, Pinto, and Greek. Like you just get a lot more to wealth to pass around and you get a bit more balance in the lines as well because Pinto is such a good 200 foot player. Yeah. And Jake Sanderson was a big compliment in this game. I mean, that wrister to hit the top corner. Shitty stuff. Yeah. I've been a lot happier with Sanderson as of late. It feels like whatever kind of like weirdness he was going through has started to abate. Yeah, but I will. I often wonder how much of that was the fact Shabbat was gone. So a lockup put on Sanderson, and maybe he wasn't fully ready for it because he has a, looked a lot more comfortable and confident since Shabbat's returned. That's fair. And, but the thing is, is he still Sanderson is still playing first line minutes. Mm-hmm. But it it does mean that like Shabbat and Sanderson can share that load. And, like, in this game, we definitely saw that load sharing where Shabbat played 25, Sanderson played 22. But uh, when we get to the Boston game, where I think Sanderson had the better game, Sanderson played 27, Shabbat played 24. And that gives Ottawa so many options. Because if you have two pairs that can play, like, a first pairing, you don't have to rely on one pairing to be the top pairing you can flip between the two and that also just makes it that much harder for teams to match up against you because who do you assign your best forwards against well that's true and and given you have that option if you wanted to switch out it's not a problem And what's really funny is Montreal really wanted to pair up Gouli and Strubla against uh, Shabbat and Chikrin. Mm -hmm. And they got that matchup and Jacques Martin was happy to see it because Shabbat and Chikrin ate them alive. And uh, Shabbat and Chikrin really didn't let Suzuki, the Caulfield line or the Harvey Pinar line do anything. No. And by the way, I want to say it was last week it might have been this week is no it was definitely this game so Jacques Martin was a former coach of the Habs yeah so instead of in the Bell Center you have to walk across the ice to get to your dressing room yep Jacques Martin went the long way and walked around the arena to where the bench was I don't know why that stuck out to me but it was a very I'm not walking across the ice you're stupid yeah I'm gonna go around Got to go to steps in somehow, man. And I mean, if you know the arena that well, might as well. Exactly. One guy, and I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Ridley Greg in this game, because he had a nice goal, but then there's Michael Endlauer, and it must have <laughs> pained him, knowing how big of a Habs fan he was at one time, to sit behind the glass and cheer for the Sens. I mean, it's got to be kind of like, funny, I too. Now. I own the team now. I own the team now. <laughs> It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And, yeah, Ridley Gregg with just a very Ridley Gregg goal on the penalty kill, no less. And that just kind of really goes to show just how 
kind of rough the Habs were that game where you have a penalty, a power play that does basically nothing. And then Greg, Greg gets really Greg gets the best chance and scores. Uh, And the same thing happens. Montreal has an abbreviated power play. Like they have a power play. And you just have really, really dumb penalty to take. And Pinto scores on the four on four. So it's just kind of goes to show like how, and we talk about it as sense fans all the time, just how deflating a bad power play can be. And Montreal gets victimized multiple times for this. Oh, believe me, when we get to the Rangers game, yeah, we know a thing or two about that. But yeah. we're not going to talk about the game. We're actually going to turn our attention to the second game of the evening, Bruins versus the Senators. This is a 3-2 Bruins overtime victory. Bruins goals scored by David Pasternak, Trent Frederick, and Brad Marchand in overtime. Says goals scored by Tomas Shabbat, Vladimir Tarasenko. Shots were 37-23 for the Senators. Ottawa absolutely deserve to win this game this is a stat line by the way and this is why i say they absolutely deserved it the first period the bruins get one shot fast forward 17 minutes and 28 seconds the bruins get their second shot of the game and they score on that one and like that's incredible yes you're talking about the boston bruins a top five team top 10 team right now and like the goal is i don't want to be me i don't want to sound salty but this is just like it's a point shot that if corpus could track a puck to save his life mm-hmm. he would have saved that oh he would have he would have and you know we could complain all day long about his game especially against the rangers but there's a t- couple of guys we should talk about first and Thomas Shabbat's a big guy in this one to talk about because, you know, and we talk about it against the Habs. He's looked so rejuvenated and just dropping to one knee to score that goal. That is some energy that I enjoy. Oh, yeah. And for a much maligned Senators power play, they looked great. Just the puck movement, three, four crisp passes, cycles, and it gets to the net. And this was a sense team that was absolutely feeling it and uh they just outworked they outworked the bruins but unfortunately the overtime goal the game winner hopped over brady kachuk's stick and as overtime goes it just went the other way corpsalo couldn't make the save yeah and i don't get the people on social media that were blaming brady kachuk for missing the empty net it bounced over a stick it hopped his stick like Ottawa could have very easily won this game. And they deserved it. They did. They absolutely did. Now, I don't know if you saw this tweet, Tim. But this tweet came from... It was from Bruce Garriock, and then it got picked up by Bardown. Oh, no. So the tweet was a video that Bruce took at the pregame where you're seeing all like the Bruins fans in the lower bowl. In pregame, Bruin jerseys, of course, original six franchise, correct? This was the caption. Thoughts on choosing a hockey team that is not from the city you live in. This is total lazy journalism. This is such, in my humble opinion, this is such a 
a bait click thing. Yeah. Like there is no malice to this because honestly, I again, this is something that everybody talks about and it's always against the Sens. Oh, well, look at the Senators. They can't sell their own arena. You keep in mind when you are talking about this original six franchises are coming to town, yep. whether it's the Leafs or the Bruins or, or the, the Habs, or, or heck, even in the next game, the Rangers. I and mean, the Ranger fans showed up for it's like if you're an NFL fan, it's like you go to let's throw a city out there, say Arizona or Miami or one of these cities that have an NFL team. Are you going to use the same argument when the 49ers or the Cowboys or the Raiders or now with the Chiefs? Are you going to use that exact same argument as, oh, well, look at these guys. They can't sell out their own stadium. No. To me, it, it's total lazy journalism. I do not like this. And I don't get it. Well, it's it's lazy. And frankly, it... There's a lot of very marginal rags. I'm going to call them a rag that are just hanging on by the thread. So, and they just need these clicks to survive. And what's kind of wild about the senators is just they have attendance hasn't real attendance has not been an issue this year. Nope. Like most games at home have been a step have been a sellout. Yeah, and that's a very positive sight to see. And it's not just when, say, the Leafs or the Habs come to town. When you get a team, say... Jersey, Buffalo. Jersey, Dallas. Carolina. Yeah, and our fans are selling that out. Yep. That's a good sight to see. The Kraken. That's a good point, yeah. Well, I mean, there there were some Kraken fans in the the house. Yeah, but it's like, the Sens... They're a hot ticket in Ottawa. It really is. It really is. I mean, it's like you go to a Canucks game when the Leafs or somebody comes to town. It's like, oh, look at the Canucks fans. They can't sell out. No, it's because a big-name team has come to town. And Vancouver, I hate to say, is not overly cheap. Especially no, now it's expensive. Canucks have been. But to me, that is total lazy journalism. I've never liked it. I get why they're doing it. It's because... It gets clicks, and people are like, oh, well, look at this. And it gives people a reason to dunk on the stands. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is once Montreal starts losing and Montreal fans don't show up, you're going to see that sort of lazy writing about the Habs, too. Yeah, And it's frustrating because, yeah, it's just it's just lazy. And you know what city and team they never mention this is Buffalo. What about when the Leafs go to Buffalo? And it's that's like, because what, nobody cares about Buffalo. Yeah, and it's 85% Leaf fans, or 90% Leaf fans. Well, even just... There's some pretty bad attendance numbers in Buffalo. For an arena that fits 19,000, you see a lot of 14, 15. I'm surprised they even get that. Yeah. Like, it's been rough. For, like, it's been a rough go for the Sabres. Yeah, it... It really has. And it really has because the Sabres are such a devoted fan base. They deserve so much better. You know, we'll be saying that until the rivalry re-erupts. Yes. Yeah, but we gotta wait years for that, though. Come on now. 
So, Tim, are you ready to, unfortunately, turn our attention to the third and final game of the evening? Yeah, let's do her. All right, Rangers versus Senators. This is a 7-2 Rangers victory. Rangers goes across by Alexei Lafreniere, Chris Kreider, Zach Jones, Johnny Brodzinski. I love that name, by the way, Johnny Brodzinski. Yeah. Oh, sounds like an 80s wrestler. It's awesome. <laughs> Blake Wheeler, Artemi Panarin, and Kapil Kako. Sends goes across by Brady Dechuk and Jacob Chikrin. Shots were 31-29 for the Senators. All right, I'll just play it. You know, I'm very honest when it comes to the show, Tim. Yeah. And I've been very honest this season about if the Sens play a bad game or to the point where it's like it's not worth watching anymore, I will turn it off. Uh Uh-huh. This game looked halfway decent early on. Sens go up 2-0. I was like, okay, great. We're actually going to beat the Rangers. This is a good one. I'm having a fun Saturday night. Then the Rangers come back. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to ask you a question, Tay. Yes. Have you ever seen a goalie let in four goals on four consecutive shots? Does a shooter tutor count? No. Mm, I don't believe I have. Because that's what Fort Pasalo gave us. They put up five unanswered in the second period. Yeah. And three of those goals were absolute garbage. Yeah. Like, you could even argue the fourth was pretty bad. Like, the Zach Jones goal is a goal that no goaltender should ever let in. Like, he just kind of skates in. He's just... Put to the side, just sh- kind of, sorry, not the Zach Jones one. It's the Kreider goal is stupid. The Zach Jones one, it's the pass gets through. The Kreider one goes through Corpusalo on the short side. When Kreider has nowhere to go, he's just throwing it at the net. The Lafreniere goal is just weird. Like, Corpusalo has to have the, po- he has to have the post covered. There's no way that Lafreniere should be able to just tip it in from behind the net like that. And then the Brzezinski goal is just a weird... Like, it's a... It's counted as a deflection, but it's just like... Fox shoots this thing from the edge. It just kind of hits Brzezinski in, and it's not a good goal. And that was Corpusalo's night. We're talking about a man who managed to have minus three goals less than expected against like he should have let in one goal. He let in four just unacceptable goaltending. Yeah. And yeah, the, it, the sense just kind of gave up after for the rest of that period. It kudos to them to trying to come back in the third, lots of chances, but New York just kept them out of it. Yeah, and this is the thing about me in this game. Because like I said, I was watching it. It was 2-2. I had to go downstairs. I can't remember what I was doing. I had to grab something. I came upstairs. I was gone all of maybe three minutes. It went from a 2-2 game. Rangers were up 4-2. And I was like, what the hell just happened? And that was the point I turned the game off and did something else. Pretty much. And 
that is a game that's just not on the forwards. It's not on the skaters. They were let down by their goalie. Yeah, the last line of defense. It really has been the story of the Ottawa, the 2023-2024 Ottawa Senators is a good enough team, and they've been playing very good hockey under Jacques Martin. Like, they kept, like, as far as the shots went and the scoring attempts went, they stayed pretty tight with the Rangers. It's just the goalies didn't in the game against Boston. Ottawa played incredibly. Goaltenders did not. No. No, and that's really the one note I have about Corpusalo is he was bad. But yeah. there was one good thing about this game. The return of the one and only Lindis Lewage. I love when he sings the anthem, man. Me too. I really do. And it gives me like vibes of a better time. Cause I mean, Lyndon Slewage, I he's been doing this right since the beginning, up until the last several years. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just I love I love seeing him. I really do. Yeah, and that's a and that's yet another thing that Michael Andlauer has done for the fans. He's done yeah. by the fans because again the the Melnick era, especially near the end, where he got alienated. Yeah, and bizarre. Michael Andlauer brought him back. Yeah, and we love it. We really do. We really do. We really do. Oh, by the way, I'm trying to think. Did we? No, we didn't mention the mom's trip, did we? I feel like we mentioned. I feel like we did. Did we mention the last week's episode? I can't recall feel like we did no we didn't no we didn't because the mom's trip wrapped up this week with the game in montreal let's talk about that it was well, fun the mom's trip was great and it's kind of incredible that zoob's mom was able to make it you were, i would have to imagine she probably doesn't speak english so i'm amazed that she she came because zoob's from like siberia imagine like nowhere Canada and then multiply that by like 30. Now, are we talking like, like way up North small Canada or like middle of nowhere, way up North, middle of nowhere. Ooh. Make it further from Ottawa. Kapvorsk is on the far Eastern border with China. Oh, damn. It is closer to Japan than it is to Finland. That's insane, man. Like, yeah, so it's like living in, like, Terrace. Oh, good lord. There ain't, yeah, there ain't no civilization up there. And to get to North America, they actually, she had to route to Moscow and then fly to Turkey to get out of Russia and then fly to meet the team. And given the, well, given what's been going on in Russia, I'm surprised she was able to even get out. Well, yeah, that's basically, I think under normal circumstances, they probably would have flown her to Sapporo and then flown, flown Trans-Pacific. Mm -hmm. 
But because of the current situation, one of the few countries that will accept flights from Russia is Turkey. So she had to fly all the way across Russia and then down to Turkey, then across the Atlantic. She basically circumnavigated the globe. She's the real MVP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love the video that the social media guys did when they were talking <laughs> to the moms about, oh, how would you describe your son? And, and she bought Spawn was the best. She goes, he's a brat. <laughs> and then Chantel to Chuck was just the best. She goes, he's a sweetheart. Aww. We love our Brady. Such a good kid. So, Tim, I don't have any more comments to make on this game. If you are ready to head off to the close for a another episode. I think I am. Beautiful. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on social media. You can find the show at Third Line Plug. You can find me on social media at Great White Gipster, and you can find Tim on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. Make sure to send him all of your anime memes, all the good ones. He enjoys only them. good ones. Yes. So, Tim. Given that this upcoming weekend is the 2024 NHL All-Star Game weekend, we've only got two games on the schedule. We've got this evening's game versus the National Predators. And believe me, we've got a lot to talk about for that game. And Wednesday, we travel down to Detroit to play the Detroit Red Wings. And one thing I didn't mention, I was really hoping the Lions would have made the Super Bowl yesterday. Yeah, that was such a tight game, but gotta hand it to the 49ers. Yeah, like I was sitting on the couch watching the game. And I was thinking, holy shit. Oh my God, they, they might actually do this. They might actually beat the 49ers and go to the Super Bowl. Is hell freezing over? Is pigs flying? Like you gotta realize the last time the Lions won an away playoff game, the one and only Ike Eisenhower was president. The That's Whopper, incredible. The Whopper had just been invented. That is 70 years ago. 66. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, in the in sports. How many people are alive? Probably not many. I do feel bad for Detroit, though. Mm -hmm. I, I, will, I will admit the 49er Lions game was better than the Chiefs Ravens. That one looked like it was just tight, tight defense. I think it was more tight defense with the Ravens. Basically did it for the Because they had one big kill against Safe Park. Right. That's fair, that's fair. Until next week, I'm Tim Jensen. And this has been Tim Jensen. Woo!